Thank you, choir. Um, that song, A Hymn of Promise, is sung at many gatherings of ecumenical church groups, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Lutherans, when they all get together and they are working on trans awareness. Uh, that song has been adopted in those communities as the hymn for that movement, the hymn for those people who are seeking to be welcomed fully into the church, unrevealed until its season. Do you hear those words? Unrevealed until its season. Something God alone can see. And the communities have said, that's our song. Those are our words. So I thank the choir for singing it for us today. And the other beautiful music we had this morning, too. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you. Uh, you know, uh, so much. Um, hope may be frail, but it's certainly hard to kill. You hear that? Hope may be frail or fragile, but it is hard to kill. You know, and then you see the song sung by that little boy in the camp, right? Rapping away. You know, what does it mean to know who you are at that age and have family love you and support you and be around you and celebrate who you are at that age? To have a whole camp set up where you can go to summer camp with your friends and be exactly who you are and sing it out. And point out to the crowd and say, where's your mom? And you go, there she is, right here with me. There's mom. Mom's right here in the crowd with me. What a day we celebrate today as we close our Trans Awareness Month, our Transgender Awareness Month. We return to this passage in Galatians that Kristen started us off with a couple of weeks ago. She said, Paul was saying, have you lost your minds? You remember that? Have you lost your minds? Y'all received this message of grace. Y'all received this message of love. You received this from me, and now you're acting as if you forgot. Now you're putting on the chains again. Now you're going back, and you're becoming the very things that we freed you from so that you could know what God's love and grace is. She started us off with this letter to the Galatians. Have you lost your minds? Send that letter. And we go a little bit further in the letter today because Paul's still not through with telling them that. He's, 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 he's telling them a story of an encounter now. He's asked them if they've lost their mind. And he said, well, you're not alone if you've lost your mind because Peter did too. And this is the story of how I brought Peter back to Peter's senses. Do you hear that in the scripture today? This is the story of how I brought Peter back to Peter's senses. You know, Peter, Peter believed Peter understood what grace was. Peter understood what it meant for us to be both Gentiles and Jews together. No separation. That we would be at table together. We would live lives together. Peter knew what that grace was. Peter even voted on it and said, this is the way we ought to be. And then, in Antioch, the first place we were ever called Christians, in Antioch, I was there and I saw Peter. He'd been doing just fine. Just fine. And then some people showed up from Jerusalem, and Peter started sitting only with the Jews again. Peter stopped table fellowship with the Gentiles. Peter went back to Peter's old ways. And Paul attributes it to fear, fear of the circumcision faction, fear of those who said you have to do it this way or you're not really a part, fear of those who like to sow doubt and what grace really means in our hearts and in our lives. 
And so Paul said, I saw Peter doing this, and I knew it really wasn't Peter's heart, but Peter was still sitting at the wrong table. And not only was Peter sitting at the wrong table, but because Peter was doing it, then Barnabas did too. And others started following suit, following suit, forgetting that story of grace, forgetting the story of that they were one people in Christ. There were no more divisions, that they were one family in Christ. And here they were sitting at different tables, and Peter was the lead of it. You know, I went right up into his face, got right up into his face at that table and said, you know better than this. This isn't how you've been living. Why are you living like this now? Stop it. How can you who have lived as Gentiles live require the Gentiles to live as Jews live? Come on, Peter. Come back to your senses. So in this letter to Galatians, Paul is having it out. First with the people there, come back to your senses, and then saying, but don't feel too bad about it because, you know, Peter, Peter had to come back to his senses too. He lost his way, and he had to come back. And a wonderful, wonderful reading for today when we talk about what it means to live in solidarity with one another. What does it mean to try and include all at the table? What does it mean to believe that that grace of God is that big? That we can actually eat with each other and not kill each other? (laughs) That the grace of God is that big? That we can be different and still praise Christ together? Seeking solidarity. Paul's a great example of that. Because Paul knew that that one little step became a big step and a bigger step. And all of a sudden, instead of a common table, people were eating at separate tables again. And so Paul was being sure that he got on it right when he saw it. I got up in his face and I told him that he needed to change and believe in the grace that we were given again. I don't know about your life. Have you ever wanted someone like Paul to jump up there for you and get in someone's face? Get right up there in someone's face and say, hey, you don't believe this. You know better. Or let's go back and read the Bible again. Because this is not what it's about. Want someone to stand right up and say that? You know, be in solidarity with those who needed someone to have that voice for them in that moment in time? I have a friend, Gil Caldwell, who was one of the civil rights heroes, marched with Martin Luther King Jr. And Gil would say, this is some Jew on Jew talking about what it means to have Gentiles in your family. This is some Jew on Jew talking. Paul is Jewish. Peter is Jewish. And they're talking to one another about, hey, you know, we know now. Others are chosen. We are a family together, and we need to live like that. We know, so they're having that conversation one-on-one. You know, we need to have conversations today like that, not just in that context, but in the context of... We need some men on the men talking about what it means for women not to have a glass ceiling. We need some white on white talking about what it means to not have persons of color scrambling or divided or planning to use our privilege in ways that gets us more privilege. We need some rich on rich talking 
about what it means to maybe not hold our resources so tight and share it with the world. So Paul is being an ally here in the group, with the conversation, in the place where those Paul is trying to say, boy, we know better, aren't even at the table. They aren't there because Peter's created a second table and has left them out again. So what does it mean to stand in solidarity? Sometimes when we're at the table that we're most comfortable with, we need to be aware who's not there. Sometimes when we're at the table that just looks like the table always does, we have to say, oh my gosh, we know better than this. Who's not in this place? And Paul says, I went right up to Peter and told him in his face. Now, we don't know whether Peter agreed with Paul at that time. Some scholars say that Paul lost the fight that day, but kept fighting the rest of his life. We know sometimes allies need to learn that. We might lose that fight, but we have to keep fighting the rest of our lives for us to have justice. Does this really matter? Does it matter? You know? Can y'all remember back to junior high and what lunch table you sat at? Did it matter? Could you sit at any lunch table you wanted to sit at? Did it matter? Was it the same way in high school and maybe other places and maybe at restaurants you go to right now? Does it matter who you eat with? Does it matter who you have table fellowship with? I don't know about you, but I can remember some of those times. All those wonderful movies, you know, can't Save the Last Dance, Never Been Kissed. All of them have that wonderful trying to change tables in the cafeteria scene. And people put you back in your place. Paul says, no separate table. Come on, Peter, you know better. You know better. So what does that bring us to today? What does it mean for us who try to be allies in and with and for and alongside our transgender persons, our transgender people of faith? What does it mean? And I have some three little sections I want to talk to you about in this today. And one of it is to mind our manners. The next one is to set the table. And the third one is to say grace. Think we can do that? Think we can mind our, mabel, mind our manners, set the table, and say grace? Does that sound like something we're used to doing? Does it sound something like we've been taught to do? And so let's, let's look at what that might look like in this particular instance. So first, let's talk about minding our manners. You might call it learning the basics. So sometimes, often, people who are not of a group they want to be allies with expect to be taught by people in that group. And I don't know about you, but how many times have you been asked to be taught, taught someone, teach someone else what it means? Okay, so Troy, what does it mean that you're gay? What do you do? How do you do it? When do you do it? With how many people do you do it? What do you like? How long does it take? You know? Are you sure body parts are supposed to look like that or go like that? You know? And these aren't people trying to upset me. These aren't people necessarily trying to be rude. They just haven't learned their manners yet. You know? These are not questions you ask of people that you don't know. These are not questions you ask of people you know just a little bit. You know? But it seems like the, all the rules go out the wayside when it comes to our transgender friends and allies. And they just go out the wayside. Anything, you can ask anything, and I would want you to mind your manners. I want you to ask yourself, am I willing to answer this question 
as well. There was one prim and proper Presbyterian woman with her pearls and high heels on in an educational forum that we were having around trans and LGBT, LGB issues and concerns. And she asked a question. And the speaker had already been willing to say, I'll answer anything. Okay? But the facilitator at that point in time said, okay, ma'am, I would like you to answer that question first. And there she was with her pearls and her nice hair and her high heels. And she went, I withdraw my question. <laughs> Just the sense of not being able to answer it herself told her what it was that she was asking of the person. And even when the person was willing, willing to help educate others, what does that mean to mind our manners, to learn about pronouns, to ask people, to be confidential and not out people who don't want to be outed, to not make assumptions because of what someone looks like? What does it mean? What does it mean to retain our curiosity to ourselves and let things be revealed in their season? as God would have them be? What does it mean to recognize our limitations, that no however much we want to be an ally and help someone, we are not that person. We are not a part of that group in the same way. We do not know all the experiences of life they have. So what does it mean to honor our limitations and therefore mind our manners? Sounds simple, doesn't it? Mind our manners? Dear Abby, back in the 1970s, you all remember Dear Abby back in the 1970s? She caused a hailstorm because someone asked her about which bathroom people should go to when they're dressed differently. 1970s. We're still arguing about this stuff. And Dear Abby said, they should go to the bathroom for which they are dressed. In the 1970s. And you should treat people in the way they are dressed. Imagine, 1970s. Mind your manners. Thank you, dear Abby. Next, set the table. Think ahead. Think ahead as you set the table. You cannot be an ally or welcoming if you invite someone into a place where they are not welcome. If you invite someone into a place where what's needed is not there. So you've got to set the table. You've got to prepare. You've got to wonder, are there bathrooms for everyone? You've got to wonder, do our people know not to stare. You've got to wonder and prepare people to be present with others that are different from them in ways that mind their manners. So you've got to think ahead and you've got to plan. I know this old story still breaks my heart. Back in the early days of HIV, going home for Thanksgiving dinner, more than one person was surprised when the table was set with beautiful linens and china and silverware and crystal glasses and their plate was paper and plastic utensil because people were so afraid. They didn't know what they needed to do to be a good host for people who were HIV positive and caused harm. Sometimes we invite people into our places of worship, into our homes, and we're not ready yet. We need to make sure we know how to mind our manners. Being a good host means that we mind our own manners, but also that we help other people know you're not supposed to put your feet on that table. Being a good host means you help people find success. It means you're a part of helping people understand what the norms are and that you're flexible. Being a good host means that you have beautiful stemware for those who are drinking champagne as well as those who are drinking sparkling water. Being a good host means you have one table for everyone. It means that if you have name cards on the table that everyone's name is spelled right, 
in the name that they know themselves to be before God? How do you set the table? First, do the research, learn how to mind your manners. Second, figure out setting that table, ask the questions that someone coming into your space will have to ask when they find their way there and wonder if they're welcome. And last, I would say, you mind your manners, you set the table, and then you say grace. You invite God to be a part of this process. You invite God to sit down right in the middle of it, fill in all the gaps and the spaces where there needs to be grace because we will make mistakes and we will stumble. Yes, God, to be there right in the middle of it with you, taking each step with you along the way so that you can keep trying. Something happens when you ask God to be in the middle when you say that kind of grace. As all of a sudden, the distance between the two of you starts to disappear and there's a sense of mutuality. You can be a great advocate. You can learn a lot and still keep yourself separate from the person. I know some wonderful people who've worked for years for equality for transgender persons and still maintain the sense that somehow they are better than the persons they are trying to help. And when you look at the work they're doing, you say, no way, they couldn't be doing that, but they do. There's something about, I have to help these that are less than me. I have to pour out all my strength and energy so that these people who are broken can have a way. You know, there's that mercy component that's in it. But sometimes we don't grow beyond the mercy component into the component of justice and the component of grace. We ask God to be right in the middle of it with all of us. And then what we recognize is we all bring strength to the journey. We all bring our gifts to the journey. We all bring who we are to the journey. And there is no distance. There is no separation. The grace of God sitting right in the middle of it says, this is mutual work, people. You're going to get as much as you give. You're going to grow as much as you help. You're going to be helped as much as you help. Because God wants that growth for you. There's a word for that. I used to call people who would come to Ben Taub Hospital and to Jefferson Davis back in the day. They were pastors who would walk around the wards. And you could tell they didn't, know long, they didn't want to be there at all. They were just there because they wanted to say they were there. And they would go and they would pray for someone. But tell you what, at the end of that prayer, they were as separate as they were at the beginning of the prayer. They hadn't learned that they were just slumming until they invited God into the middle of it so that that mutuality could take place and the separation could end. So in all of our isms and all of the healing we need to do where we need to be allies for one another, all across the board, can we remember to mind our manners? Can we remember to set the table, prepare the way? And can we remember to say grace? That God will be right there in the middle of it with us. And this isn't meant to make anyone feel shame or guilt. This is meant to say we're all on a journey and we're not going to make it unless God's right in the middle of it. This is meant to say we have to remember to say grace and bring God right along with us for this learning and for this growth. And you know, for those people who aren't on this journey, for those who are most rigid, for those who say, I can't consider it, I can't even think about taking a step on the journey, for those that are so rigid, they're going to break if the merest breeze comes by. You know, 
And they are, they're going to break because they're so stuck and they're so stiff in what they're thinking and believing. What I need to say to us is what we need to remember is that those people we need to pray for and help them find healing because it's in those communities where there's the highest rate of domestic abuse. It's in those communities where there's the highest rate of incest. It's in those communities where there's the highest rate of sexual abuse. Those communities where it's so rigid that they can't consider gender would be beyond this very strict role construction of male and female, that the most harm is occurring in those very intimate settings. All of the stats show that over and over and over and over again. So how can we find some healing for ourselves, for the church? Maybe it's that we take a journey together. Maybe it's that we become allies to one another. Maybe it's in the journey of becoming allies to one another we learn something about what it means to not be so stiff, so rigid, that we might be able to say, okay, God, it's been unrevealed until it's season, but you've seen it. You've seen it. Let us take the steps to be allies to one another. So this is Thanksgiving week. I don't know who's going to be at your table. I don't know who's not going to be at your table. I know Walter and I are having Thanksgiving over here in the activities building. We invite as many of you to come over here as possible and join our family of faith. You know, if you're single and looking for people to eat with, we're there. If you've got family, you want to bring them over, bring them over. If you've got someone who needs a meal, bring them there too. And what we will do is we will be prepared to mind our manners. We will be prepared to set the table. And we will be prepared to say grace. Thanks be to God. Amen.